Father, we do take a moment to worship you. In the grand scheme of things, we could not never praise you enough. We could never raise our voices high enough or far enough or wide enough to really begin to describe just who you are and what you mean to us. As we gather together here in Common Ground Church, we ask that truly we would worship you. In these moments, and as we focus upon not only what you do for us, not only what you mean to us, but we also ask that you would be with us and that you would abide and be present. Thank you for this, this hour, this day, and for giving us life and for giving us hope. For that, we give you praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Thank you, Ray. You may have a seat. Welcome, everybody, that apparently are people that don't care that the time change has occurred. Uh, still managed to get up and get going today. 
Um, we have a lot of people that are gone because some are out on the Mexico trip, uh, some are on spring break, and uh, some apparently, uh, it was tough getting up this morning, uh, but uh, glad to have you all here. I just want to give you an update on the Mexico team. They will be arriving Tuesday. Uh, things have been going well with them. They expected, I think they were expecting about 25 kids, was it, to show up to their basketball camp and uh, 70 kids uh, ended up showing, but uh, they rolled with the punches and kept going. So continue to pray for them and for their safe return back to us this week. And uh, yeah, we still have mugs available, coffee mugs that are uh, part of funding this trip. And if you'd like to have one of those, they're $15, uh, you can just grab one and uh, then you can uh, drop off cash or you can uh, pay online for it uh, and uh, help out the team with that. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that InterVarsity, a ministry at the School of Mines, um, is doing something coming up on the 27th and the 28th of this month. They're putting on a thing called the Mark Drama. No props, no costumes, but the life of Jesus presented on stage. On the 27th, they'll be presenting it at the Surbeck Ballroom down at the School of Mines, and then on the 28th, they will be at Parkview Church. And it's 7 p.m. Uh, both evenings for that. And then as far as the Square One training goes, we're postponing that until April. So just hang in there and stay tuned. And if you want any more information about, well, what does that involve, Nick? Uh, you can come and see me, and I'd be happy to talk to you about that. And then good news, the nursery is up and running. Okay, so yeah, there you go. Um, so we'll, we've still got some things we're doing in it, like getting a TV in there so that we can uh, feed the live stream through it for uh, folks that go in there. But if you need a place to go with your child, there's diapers, there's, there's toys, there's a big fancy white rug that I just want to roll around on. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's there. So thank you to everybody that helped make that nursery uh, become a possibility. All right. So uh, that's pretty much it that I have for announcements. Uh, we want to we, we want to officially, I guess, because we didn't last week, but to officially welcome back Brian and Laura. It's good to see you guys back here. And uh, if you would like to help Brian and Laura just kind of get settled back into the States, that's been quite a chore for them and a hurried trip and everything. Um, just check in with them and uh, they can let you know what they need uh, as they get uh, get resettled. But uh, good to have them back. So this is our time where we just go and we say hi to one another and welcome and that kind of thing. So I'm not going to give you any crazy prompts. You make it as awkward as you want to make it, I guess. Uh, but just take a few moments and go say hello to one another.
If you haven't had enough awkwardness, go ahead and continue, but I'm going to talk right over you. I want to also welcome back Jonas Feltinski, my buddy. Uh, we've been, of course, uh, having sermons from the uh, book of Hebrews. I want to turn our attention to chapter 12, a couple of verses there. Therefore, since we have, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior. sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing
your burden of sin. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you want evil a victory with? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. You may have a seat if you prefer. This time we'd like to continue worshiping God in offering ourselves before him. Uh, primarily it is our time of tithes and offerings and uh, we, of course, have several different ways in which you can offer yourselves and your finances and your stewardship and your talents to God. But uh, in particular, you can give online. We do have our giving box here at the uh, door, doorway that's coming in. And uh, uh, I don't know the number that Brian taught us. <laughs> it's on the screen. I can't see the screen, so... I'll let you read it for yourselves. Uh, but yes, this is our act of worship. And uh, let us just take a moment to uh, thank God for who he is, what he does, and the fact that he'll accept our gifts at this time. Heavenly Father, truly we do want to thank you. We want to give you praise for yeah, warmer weather outside and a reminder that uh, there are uh, times when we need to give you praise and uh, whether the sun is shining or whether it's cold and whether the wind is blowing as it so often does here in the Black Hills we do want to give you praise this morning that we can gather together meet with with you here and to uh, bask in your presence as we offer ourselves 
and sacrifice uh, our time and our efforts, our talents for the sake of your kingdom. May uh, you be praised and uh, we'll lift you up this morning, we pray. The other day I was at Fleet Farm and uh, it was particularly cold and windy, icy out, and a uh, customer came through, we were chatting, and uh, I said, well, be careful out there, it's pretty cold. He goes, well, spring is coming. That's the hope that he has. One of the things that uh, we find in scripture is that uh, a definition of hope because it talks a lot about hope, is faith with expectancy. We expect the promises of God to come true, and we have faith that they will come true. It's faith with expectancy. In uh, the day and age we live in, of course, there is a lot of things that might cause us not to have hope, and uh, we 
can find ourselves sometimes discouraged uh, with what is going on, maybe fearful with what is going on, certainly concerned with what's going on. And yet Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 these words, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, and pursue hospitality. I was wondering, what is it that you are hoping for? Tell me something that you're hoping for, that you look with expectancy that's going to happen, uh, that you have faith for. What is it that you're hoping for, that we might rejoice together in what is yet to come? What are some things that you're hopeful for? What are we hoping for? One thing we are hoping for, certainly, is the return of Jesus Christ and uh, him setting all things right. When we look at the difficulties of our day and the hardships of our day and the corruption of the governments and the wars and rumors of wars, you know, last night, I guess, 12 missiles were fired into Iraq from Iran. Uh, things are getting tense. And sometimes we wonder, you know, where's justice? Where's righteousness? Where's holiness? Where's uh, the commitment to do what is right? Well, we have hope. We have hope with expectancy. We hope and we rejoice in the fact that Jesus is coming and returning someday and going to set all things right. Anything else that comes to mind? What can we rejoice in? Yes, Sally. Hey, great. That's great. Yeah, no, that's great. Wait. You know, and it's having that sense of purpose and fulfillment in the things that God has for us, that he works through us. Someone else? Okay. What was her first name again? Alvina. Okay. Someone else, something that you're hopeful for. One of the things that I think builds hope in us 
is the reality that God is at work even in the midst of our difficulties and in the midst of our hardships. Let's see how that works a little bit. If we, uh, sorry. Oh, come on. can't see in the dark and it's hard not to use your phone then. And I can't get it to work right. Would someone open up to the book of Hebrews and read for us chapter 10. And I'll give you the verses in just a moment. Yes, I was looking for Jeepers. There it is. Never mind. <laughs> Remember the earlier days when you had been enlightened. You endured a hard struggle for the sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with prisoners and accepted the joy, the with joy, the confiscation of your possessions, because you know that you yourselves have a better enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which you, which has a great reward, for you need endurance so that you that after you have done God's will, you may receive what is promised. I think in all, that's really what hope is. It's enduring hardships, difficulties, with a sense of expectation that something better is coming. It's not holding on to the things that we have with such a protection that we won't let it go. We allow God to take the things and use the things that we have to perhaps bless others or to feed others or to help others in some way. It's opening our homes and hospitality to invite people into our homes when they're having a particularly hard time and they need help. It's hard during those times and, and the, he, the people of Hebrews had felt that. We have faith with expectancy. We enjoy rejoicing about what is ahead. But how about here today? What are some things that you would like us to pray for? Yes, we're rejoicing, but we also want to spend time praying for you, building you up. Maybe we'll be able to help you out. Uh, what is it that's on your heart? What are some things that we need to be in prayer for.
That was exciting, wasn't it? The 70 kids paired for 25. That, that was neat, though. Yeah. Was it the first one? Yeah. So there's a sense of expectancy there and uh, and hope, and uh, we want to be praying for that. All right. I want to encourage us to rejoice together. In the midst of all the difficulties and the hardships of this world, let's rejoice in what we have. A special loving relationship with a great God who has chosen us, and he's going to take us to live with him for eternity. And when you look at everything going around in this world, and it's easy to get wrapped up around it, recognize that God is the one who has control over all things. And he will set it straight, and he will work it through. And we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in 15 years of good employment. We can rejoice in how God works through us to share the gospel with people who are around us so that we might see many people come to Christ before he comes. We can rejoice with what God is doing through the people in Mex in, uh, on the missions trip. And as they're preparing and wrapping things up today and getting ready to return, we can rejoice with what God has done through them to bring people to himself. We can rejoice in that. Because there's something better that we're going to receive. We can rejoice with those who are expecting. And we can pray for their safety. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do come to you with a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of praise, a rejoicing spirit. Even though, yes, our, our world is, is uh, in great tension. Um, we recognize that it isn't completely out of the ordinary either. And yet, Father, we know that you are the one who's always in control, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the promise of one day everything will be set right. We thank you for the promise that one day we will enter into glory and to live with you for eternity. We thank you, Father, for so many good things that you have done for us, and we thank you for the relationship that we share with you. But we do pray, Father, that you would use us to share your truths with those who are around us so that they too might come to faith in Jesus and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus so that they too will stand with us 
before your throne one day in glory. Thank you for the opportunities that you give to us. And I pray that you would open our eyes to still more uh, possibilities of sharing um, the truths and your love with them. Father, we pray for Todd and Sarah, for Alex and uh, am I right in Becton? Brooke, I'm sorry. Uh, I just pray that you would uh, be with them, close with them. There's uh, a lot of anxiety, I suppose, uh, and anticipation and excitement and concerns all wrapped up together. I just pray that you would give them safety, protection, and um, Father, I pray that you would help them know that you are right with them in every, everything that goes on. And Father, we just lift up to you uh, all of um, the rest of the worship service. I pray that as we hear your word, that uh, you might speak to our hearts and that you might transform our lives just a little bit more to become a little bit more like Jesus because of the word that has been implanted today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everybody. Have you ever felt like um, things were covered that you wish were uncovered? <laughs> you know, like we want to know what's going to happen next. You know, when we watch the news and we see, you know, well, what's 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 coming down the pipe, sort of thing. Um, this week, uh, because of the play, I uncovered my face, and uh, I have I have not been without facial hair for quite a long while now. And uh, when I looked up into the mirror and saw my own face there, I realized it wasn't my own face. I was seeing my dad's face looking back. I'm like, when did that happen kind of thing? So I cannot wait to grow it back uh, because it's like looking at a ghost. That was something I didn't want to have uh, uncovered. Uh, have you ever had the opportunity to go to uh, a full-blown play where they actually have curtains on the stage? When I was in Scotland a few years back, uh, in Inverness, we went to a play, and uh, it was really cool, huge theater, um, and, uh, and, and the curtains were, and I was like, what's going to happen? What is this thing going to look like? That, and then suddenly the, the curtains open up, and I saw the set, and uh, suddenly I wasn't interested in the story because I was like, how did they build that set like that? It was absolutely amazing, and, and, uh, and now I was building up this anticipation to see what they were going to do with it. And uh, you, I, I don't remember who said it, but all the world's a stage, right? What's that, Shakespeare? Okay, thank you. Uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, in some cases, the curtain seems to still be closed uh, to us on that stage. And uh, Mark's leading into prayer is really a good setup for that about anticipation, about hope, and that sort of thing. Uh, the The original audience for the book of Hebrews, you know, they were going through some very difficult times. And uh, it's leading up to that chapter that we all know as the Hall of Faith, chapter 11. 
Uh, and uh, but before he gets to that, he's he's really kind of setting us up to see how um, living in this world is tough, and sometimes we can't see clearly, and we wish we could. You know, we're like, come on, God, just draw me a clear picture of this thing so that I know what to do. Uh, but the reality is, is God says, I'll, I'll part the veil at some point, but right now, wait. Wait in hope and in faith and in anticipation. So today we're in Hebrews chapter 9. If you'd like to turn there or scroll there, whatever you got to do, whether it's a Bible or a device or something, and take a look at that. I'm going to tell you right up front that Hebrews chapter 9 is a big honking chapter, and it's got a lot of stuff in it. And there's just no way that I could adequately do an expository message on this whole chapter. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that what I... Uh, that, that, what, that what we have today is what God has given me to, to give you. Uh, but there's a question that I've often had when I was a, a younger Christian, something that bugged me a lot, because I, I, you know, I was convinced of what it took to become a believer in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brought that conviction upon me, and I understood what it meant for me to apprehend salvation, right? But how did the Old Testament believer lay hands on the salvation. Do you ever think about that? Ever, ever wonder, well, how did that work? How did Moses, Abraham, David, and you know, Hosea, and Gomer, and all the rest of them, how did they get a hold of salvation? Uh, have you considered what it took for them? And there's, when you read the Old Testament, it's real easy to kind of get some misconceptions. Uh, like, for example, some might say, well, they had to obey the law. That's why God gave the law to them. If they would obey the law, then, then they, would, they would be saved, right? Nope. <laughs> that was never the intent of the law. The law was not meant. God doesn't want us jumping through hoops and obeying rules and that sort of thing. It's never been a salvation that we can attain by our own efforts, our own works. So we, of course, know, well, that, that wouldn't have worked. That wouldn't have saved the Old Testament believer. Um, so then it's like, well, maybe just being from the bloodline of Abraham, that was it. You had to be born of the bloodline of Abraham. Nope, that doesn't work either because John chapter 1, verses 11 through 12 tells us that it's not by the will of man or by our family or any of those things that a person becomes uh, a, a part of God's kingdom. It's got to be something else. And so then we thought, well, maybe it's the religious observances that they did. You know, they, 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 they made sure that they, 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 they followed the, to the letter. No, that's going back to the law again. It's, again, a man-made kind of uh, dependence, a man-dependence to be able to be saved. And so then we go, oh, I know. It was the sacrifices. That's it. That's why God had them kill animals, because we know that, uh, that there is no salvation apart from blood and things like that. So it's like, there we go. That was it. They, it was the sacrifices that they brought, and, and that saved them. Nope. It wasn't that either. So what saved an Old Testament believer? Anybody want to make a guess? Yes, to faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's promises. I think that's hitting pretty close to the mark. We can't just say faith, you know, oh, I got faith. You know, well, faith in what? It's the object of faith that makes the difference. It's not the amount of faith that we have. And the faith that they 
that, th that they had was in a promise that was to come. So here's the answer, okay? We'll just put it down in a compact form as best we can. What saved the Old Testament believer is the same thing that saves you guys and me. Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. But you see, it's a perspective issue. Let's say this is, this is the cross. If, uh, if we were living in the Old Testament, okay, the cross hasn't happened yet. We had to look forward to an event that was to occur. If we're living now in the day and age that we're in, we look backwards to an historic event. Now, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, correct? Okay. Yeah, usually when we look back at something, we can see, oh, we see it a lot more clearly. And of course, because it's an historical uh, fact that the cross happened, it's an historical fact that Jesus existed, um, we have that to put our faith on. And if you think about it, that's, that's, that's easier for us. But if you're looking, whoops, there goes my water. I had faith it would stop. Um, if you're looking forward to something to come, like Mark was talking about, this anticipation, there's a little bit of a veil that's before us. And, well, how do we know what this is, this is going to look like? Even though God's promises were pretty clear, uh, we still need something to kind of make it a little bit more concrete. Now, if you want to sympathize with the Old Testament believer, we have faith in event to come, and Mark referred to that as well, and that's the return of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? The return of Jesus Christ. Well, man, people have a lot of ideas. I've seen all kinds of eschatological timelines, okay, and end time studies, things like that, and none of them are the same. There's a whole bunch of theories about what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. Right now, when we have wars and rumors of wars going on, people start thinking about the return of Jesus Christ, and they're wondering, is that a picture of what's to come? And so people have really messed up eschatology. There have been pastors that have had their churches convinced, their congregations convinced, that they knew the exact date that Jesus was going to return. Okay, And Jesus didn't show up. And so they said, I must have done my math wrong. It's actually going to be this date. And Jesus didn't show up. That makes them a false prophet. Okay, There's no easy way to say that. There was one guy that had his church down in Arizona so convinced that Jesus was coming back, he got them uh, to sit on the roof of their uh, church because apparently that makes the rapture quicker or something if you're closer to heaven. I don't know. But they're all sitting on the roof of their church and they're completely naked because he told them, you don't need clothes in heaven because you're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, could you imagine the unbelieving world walking by and going, what are you guys doing? Opening up a nudist colony on the roof of a church? And they're like, Jesus is coming back, and we're just ready for him. And Jesus didn't come back. Okay? What did that make the church look like? Okay? So we need something to have a good, solid idea. Well, what's beyond the veil? What's beyond the curtain when it finally opens? Is it going to look like what we've anticipated now, what, what God did for the Israelites is, 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 look, guys, I know you're looking at something that's yet to come, and it's kind of hard to visualize that. So I'm going to give you a lot of things to help you with that. I'm going to give you illustrations. I'm going to give you object lessons. I'm going to give you types. Okay, A lot of people in the Bible were a 
type of Christ. That doesn't mean they were a Messiah or that they were a Savior. They were just prefiguring. They were kind of the, the trailer to the movie, you know, to help Israel to understand, well, okay, this is, this is what it's going to be. But when it comes down to it, whether Old Testament or New Testament, the one thing that saves any person is the cross, the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he did. So Hebrews chapter 9, as I said, I don't think I could ever go through the whole thing and show you what it's going to look like. But for your own reading and your own study, you can go back to that slide. If, for your own reading and your own study, you can just uh, kind of break it down this way. That chapter 9, verses 1 through 10 is going to give us a description of the tabernacle, its furniture, and some of the Old Testament worship practices that took place in it. Then when you get to verses 11 through 14, you're going to see a description of the real tabernacle because the first tabernacle was just a pattern okay it was a shadow of things to come it was a picture that god was giving to the israelites so that they would understand that he had something that was going to happen when the curtains opened and then in verses 15 through 22 you're going to see the tension of living in two realities and again mark kind of touched on that during our prayer time as well because we're living in difficult times but we have hope for something even better than what we're experiencing right now and then the chapter closes with the all sufficiency of jesus christ fulfilling the pattern the scheme uh, the shadow of the things that were to come so the tabernacle, I want to spend some time looking at that today because the tabernacle was given to Israel through Moses by God as something that would point them towards Jesus. Now you may or may not have ever noticed that before. You might have just thought, oh cool, they had a tent where they could worship God. But that tent was designed in such a way that it would direct them towards this hope that was to come. Now, it, the Israelites weren't the only ones that had a traveling temple, so to speak, but they're the only group of people that were you to enter into that temple, you would not end up standing and looking at an image. All other peoples had an image of the God that they worshipped. When you got to the end of the structure, you would find no image. You would just find a space where God had dwelt. So uh, here's an illustration, and I know it's kind of hard to see and you can't read the print of that, but here's what the temple uh, or the tabernacle looked like. The temple followed the same footprint uh, of this, and, uh, and, and, and outside, well, at least outside in the temple, when they built Solomon's temple and then eventually um, they, they had to remodel because it had been destroyed by the Babylonians, and then Herod eventually built this massive, amazing building, uh, outside of the temple... There, there were these courts. And the first court that you would come to was the, the court of the Gentiles. So for the non-Abrahamic people, they could come to where God dwelt amongst his people to worship if they had faith in this God. But they had to stop at a wall, at a barrier. They could not go beyond that barrier. So if you were a Gentile, you would stand outside that thing wondering, what's, I wonder what's beyond there, that the place that I can't get to quite yet. And then the next court after that was the court of the women. Okay, and this is where the Israelite women, they could go up to this point and then there'd be another barrier and they would have to stop there. And so if you were an Israelite woman, you might say, well, at least I'm a little bit closer than the Gentiles got, but I wonder what's next. I wonder what's beyond this. 
And then the men, because the men were the head of the household, they represented their wives that were behind them in the court of the women and the children. They could go a little bit further than them as far as, as, as in the, the temple was concerned, as far as this thing called the Nicanor Gate. Uh, that would be this place right here, okay, the gate of the, the court. That's all the further they could go. And they would come with their sacrifices in hand for their family. And then the priests were the only ones that could come inside this structure and do the work of ministry here. And they would receive the sacrifices at the gate, and then they would take it to this altar. And on that altar, the animal would be bound and then slaughtered for the sins of that family. The altar was a picture of Jesus Christ who would be bound to a cross and slaughtered for the sins of all mankind. Then beyond the uh, altar, there's this thing on, on the slide here. It says, laver. You ever say that? I'm going to go to the laver and wash my hands? No. I'm going to go to the sink. <laughs> okay? There, or it's, it's, it's a basin made out of bronze and things like that. And, and this is where the priests would go, and they would wash off the offal of the, of the slaughter, the blood that was on their hands and their feet. Uh, from doing that thing. There was a cleansing that they had to go through because of that sacrifice that had been made. And again, that is a perfect picture of the cleansing, the sanctifying work that happens because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice and is accomplished through the Holy Spirit in our lives. So you see how these things were pointing towards something yet to come. All right, And then there was this structure beyond the laver. Uh, there was another curtain, okay, or this was the first veil, we might call it. And then they would step inside there. But only certain priests could go there if they were appointed, if it was their, their time to step into those things. And that's where you would find the lampstand and the table with the loaves of bread inside it or on top of it. And as you, this was called the holy place. Now, the lampstand was actually a menorah. Okay. And it represented the, the burning bush where God spoke to Moses and got them going as a nation. Uh, and that lampstand represents, again, Jesus, who is the light of the world, the one who illuminates our way for us. And then you would turn to the table, and there was the table with the, the loaves of bread on that. And that sacred bread was a reminder, uh, again, of how God had provided for his people. And the priest got to eat the bread that was there. It was a week old by the time they got to eat it, but it was their bread. And again, that's a picture of Jesus who is the bread of life, the one who sustains us daily through God's word, our daily bread. And then there was the altar of incense. Now, when you read Hebrews chapter 9, it's going to be a little bit confusing because it's going to look like to us that the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the altar of incense is inside the Holy of Holies on the other side of the second veil, the place where no one could go except once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement, and the only one who could enter into there was the high priest, and he had to come with him the blood of a bull for himself and the blood of goats for the people of Israel. So that all their sins, whether intentional or unintentional, could be expiated, paid for. 
And then he, he would bring that in there, and everybody waited and anticipated to see if the curtain would part again, and he would come back out alive, because he was stepping right into the very presence of God. And if he came back out again, he says, all right, we're good until next year. And the next year. And the next year. And the next year. All those things were repeated over and over again and again to remind Israel that there was a Savior coming. Now, as I said, the altar of incense, according to the writer of Hebrews, seems to be placed inside the Holy of Holies, but uh, it's just a translation issue for us. The, the, the way the original language mentions it is, is he's basically saying that the altar of incense, which was in the holy place, and then the veil, and then the Ark of Covenant, all sort of belong to each other. Okay, it wasn't talking about placement, but a sense of belonging. So before you got to that veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holy places where God's presence dwelt, uh, you had this, this, this place where you could light up this and burn this incense. And incense helped cover the smell of death. Because the smell of death is not a pleasant thing to our nostrils. Have you ever thought about the difference between the word aroma and odor? If you come home from work with a particular odor about you, your wife will probably say, go and take a shower, please, before I hug you. Okay? But if your wife comes out of, I don't know, the bathroom after getting herself prepared for the day, and she has a particular aroma about her, you're like, hey, come here, hon. <laughs> There's a big difference. An odor repels where an aroma attracts. And that incense would be born, would be burnt so that the aroma of it would cover up the odor of death. The high priest, before entering into that holy of holy places, would light that, and then he would kind of waft it upon himself and his garments uh, before he would step into God's presence. Here's a really interesting thing. Every single sacrifice and offering that is mentioned in the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know that really exciting reading in there? Okay. Every single one that is mentioned is described as a pleasing aroma to God. Every sacrifice is a pleasing aroma to God. And so it fits that part of the sacrificial system was that there would be this pleasant smell, this fragrance uh, that opened up into the holy place when the or the holy of holies when the uh, priest would enter in there. Again, this altar perfectly pictures Jesus Christ. Listen to what Ephesians five two says: Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Every sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to God. None so more so than Christ. And then we have that veil, okay? This, uh, you can't really see it in the drawing here because they only gave us about one panel of it, but it's, again, it separated the holy place from the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant rested. And that veil was a very ornate 
uh, 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 piece of fabric, much better than those things we got hanging on the wings over here, all right? It went from the top to the bottom of the, of the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, the, the further into the temple or the tabernacle that you went, the more ornate things got because you were getting close to where God was, right? And this veil was the thickness of a hand. That's how thick that fabric was. Can you imagine that? That had to be heavy. Looks like you'd be the guy that had to hang that. Did you know that, uh, that, that God gives us probably more literature in the Old Testament about the tabernacle and its furnishings than anything else? And when he was preparing for the building of the tabernacle, the construction of it, he told Moses to set aside certain men who had been gifted by the Holy Spirit as craftsmen to build those things. And so some craftsmen and women together probably made that veil that no person except for the high priest could go past and only one day a year, the Day of Atonement, when all sins were paid for for Israel until next year, until next time. If you or I were able to step beyond that veil, we would step right into the very presence of God. So you see how God gave the tabernacle to the Israelites so that sinful people would have the means by which to approach a holy God. And that pattern is still true for us today. How do I, as a sinner... How do I approach and even dare to step into the presence of a, of a holy God? So the veil, again, is a picture of Christ, the one who passed through the heavens, we're told in the book of Hebrews, on our behalf. And then we know that the death of Jesus Christ eliminated all the barriers to sinful men showing that all people of faith could now enter into God's presence. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, it says that while he was hanging on the cross, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. That's where he says, Father, into your... First he says, it is finished. Okay, Everything that the tabernacle and the temple and the work of the priests and all that furniture and everything that was involved in that, he says that is no more, it's done, it's finished once and for all. And then after that he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So when he cried out with that loud voice and yielded up his spirit, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's a very significant event. That this curtain as thick as my hand, that no man could render from the top to the bottom, torn open. And God said, here it is. You're beyond the veil. Because of everything that Jesus did on the cross. In Ephesians 2, Verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now here he's talking about the difference between Jew and Gentile, and he says that difference no longer exists because of what Jesus Christ did. We no longer have a court of the Gentiles, and only the Jews can come into the sanctuary. He says now all of you can come in because you've been made one family. You're now all descendants of Abraham through the blood of Jesus Christ. But he's also telling us that not only is the hostility between Jew and Gentile removed, the hostility between a holy God and sinful man has been brought down. It says, He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers or aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We no longer need this traveling tent. We no longer need uh, a permanent building situated in Jerusalem because now as believers in Jesus Christ, we have become temples on wheels. People no longer have to travel all over the world to come to where God dwells in the midst of his people Israel. We now go into all of the world with the presence of God dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, that leaves us with one last piece of furniture, and that's the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, how many of you know who Indiana Jones is? All right, so you've seen the movies, okay? What's the Ark of the Covenant? I don't know. It's some box that makes people's faces melt. Okay, that's if you watch the movie, but that's not what the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant was a box, ornately built and decorated with two cherubim with their wings outstretched over the top. And where the wings of the cherubim came together, it was called the mercy seat. And it was over the mercy seat where God's presence in the Shekinah glory, the fire, the pillar of flame, and the pillar of smoke dwelt in the midst of Israel. Okay? The very presence of God hovering right over that, that box. And that was where God met with sinful men. Sinful men who were properly expiated. The blood had been shed for them. In Exodus 25, 22, God said, There I shall meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two, two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in the commandments for the sons of Israel. Now again, is that a picture of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Because Jesus is the true mercy seat. When we meet Jesus as our Savior, we are ushered in to the presence of God. The Holy God now communes with us through his Son. And that's why it said in, or in, in Hebrews chapter 8 that no man shall any longer have to teach his neighbor, know the Lord. 
because we shall all know him. Because that was accomplished through Jesus Christ. He now tells us through his spirit all that we need to know. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not things that are here on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that an amazing verse? We're told in another portion of Scripture that right now we are actually seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Try to get your head around that. Okay, right now I'm leaving footprints on this white stage. But also right now I'm in the very presence of God with Jesus Christ. That's the reality of the hope that we have. And we're just told in Colossians 1 or 3, 4 that when Jesus Christ returns, we also, he's coming in glory, we also will appear with him in glory. Meaning what we were always meant to be from the beginning is going to happen. So if you go to that next slide, there's this chart. Uh, and Hebrews 9 kind of describes this for us in verses 15 through 22. And, uh, and it's kind of an interesting thing because uh, we have the old covenant, we have the new covenant, and then we have the age that's to come, right? The new heavens and the new earth. The old covenant contained the shadow of good things to come. That's what Hebrews 9 tells us. Uh, the new covenant talks about the reality of heavenly things that have come. And the age to come is what Hebrews describes as the Sabbath rest. Anybody here just... I mean, when Mark said, is there anything that you're hoping for? You know, first thing that popped into my mind is rest. I still want to rest. I am so tired of my sin. I am so tired of the struggle of the flesh versus the spirit. I am so weary of this world and all of its troubles and travails. Ministry easiest job you could ever sign up for said the biggest liar in the world <laughs> i can remember when i was a kid i went to this presbyterian church and uh, reverend layton and we all called him rev i thought that was a cool name for him and i thought man this guy has the best job in the world he only has to work on sundays i wonder what he does the rest of the week and uh, yeah then god called me in the ministry to show me what that was like okay uh, you, when you meet people in ministry, usually you meet people that are kind of hollowed out. Okay. Start to develop the thousand-yard stare uh, as it is. Uh, because there's just no way to describe what living on a time clock that is measured by 24-7, 365 days a year, uh, what that's like. <laughs> what that is like. And uh, as joyful as ministry is, it's weary. It's wearisome. <laughs> and part of the weariness that comes is walking into people's brokenness, having to see the pain and suffering that someone might be going through and feeling very inadequate 
to be of any comfort to them. And all you want to do is to see the day when their tears are wiped away, when their sorrow and their pain is no more. That's the Sabbath rest. That's what we long for in the age to come. I hope it involves hammocks. So the old covenant, the shadow of good things to come, that's the former age. The new covenant, the reality of heavenly things that have come through the person of Jesus Christ is this present age. That's where you and I are right now, okay? And the age to come, the new heavens and the new earth, well, as we just read in Colossians chapter 3, that because of him, you've got to imagine, I'm looking for a dividing line. I guess it's going to have to be the stem of this pimpernel here. I wanted a straight line, but it's not. Basically, here's the reality of your, if you're a Christian. You have one foot in the present age and another foot already in the age to come. And that's the tension that you and I live in. One foot while we're watching one nation go and bully another nation and kill a whole lot of people in the process of that. Well, another foot in an age where there is no more war. You feel that tension? Okay. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Both feet firmly planted in two different ages. But Hebrews chapter 9 isn't done. And here's the, key, or here's the key text I wanted to look at. It begins with verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things. Now, the copies of the heavenly things were the tabernacle and all its furnishings and the, the worship practices and the sacrifices and everything that, uh, that was involved in that. It was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Okay, now here's where it gets a little bit gross. In the Old Testament sacrificial system within the temple, within the tabernacle, um, when the priest would slaughter these animals, one of the things that the high priest would do is uh, he, would, he would pick up that blood with a with a, with a branch of this, this trailing kind of tendrils uh, vegetation on it, and he would shake that here, and he would shake that there, and he would shake it this way. He would shake it on the altar. He would shake it on the basin. He would shake it on the gates. He would shake it on the stuff inside. The, the, he just covered everything with blood. That was what sanctified all of these instruments. As we just said, that they, they themselves had to be purified with these rites. He would be covered with blood by the time it was done. The whole idea of worship in the Israelite fashion was a bloody mess. Because God who clothed himself in flesh to come and hang on a cross by the time he was done was a bloody mess. And his blood now covers us. Now covers us. A better sacrifice to purify the instruments of God's worship. Verse 24 goes on to say, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which were copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he's appeared once and for all 
at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Boy, that's a verse worth highlighting. As it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifices of himself. And just as it's been appointed for man to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. It was a few weeks ago I was talking about uh, the return of Christ to some of my students and something just kind of itched in my spirit a little bit as I was doing that. And so as I was driving home from school, I, I was talking to God about that itch and I, I said, God, I, I'm not sure what has happened here, but the, the, the anticipation of Christ's return has somehow become dull in me. That somehow, I don't know, maybe because of all the eschatological nonsense I've seen from, you know, theologians lately that uh, has been just so ridiculous that I've started to distance myself from it. I mean, if you want to know what my eschatology is, it's basically Matthew 24, 14. And then the gospel of this kingdom will be preached to every peoples in this world, and then the end will come. That's my timeline. It used to be a way more elaborate than that. But, but you know, it's just like I'm just, I focused on that so much that I think I, I forgot about Jesus returning. And, and somehow that wasn't triggering what, what it should be triggering, this, how, this, eager, uh, this eager anticipation of him coming back. And I said, God, you need to do something. Because I, I don't know how to fix that. Okay. And, and then, you know, Russia invades Ukraine, and it got me to thinking about how much I want Jesus to come back and say, that's enough of this nonsense. You know, got, me, got me going there. And then, and then something else happened. But I'll tell you about that in a minute. Because Jesus has fulfilled the purpose of all the tabernacle furnishings and the sacrificial system and the tabernacle itself, and because Jesus has torn that veil in two, and because Jesus has atoned for our sins once and for all, meaning no more next year, every believer in Christ has the reality of hope for having both feet firmly planted in the age to come. That at some point, <laughs> we're going to move from one foot here and one foot there to both feet firmly planted in the Sabbath rest. We have that hope. We have an assured hope because we have a Savior who accomplished it all for us. That means that someday... We as believers will be standing in the glory that was prepared for us. That someday there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more guilt or the shame of that sin. By the way, if you're a Christian and you're feeling shame for a sin that Jesus Christ has forgiven you for, I'm going to give you some real good pastoral therapy here. Ready? Stop it. It's, it's done. 
quit crucifying Jesus. He did it once and for all. Let go of that shame. Quit carrying that around. The only person that wants you to carry that stuff on your shoulders is the adversary of God, Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. He wants to take that thing and just point at you with that, I don't know if he's got a bony finger or what, you know, to make you feel like you're not worth it. All you've got to remember is that Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross for you once and for all. And that means that in his eyes, you were worth it. That you were worth it. And because of this hope we have, we're going to experience the uninterrupted, unhindered, unleashed presence of God without fear of judgment, but maybe a kind of fear that says, I can't believe I'm standing this close to something this awesome. And we also have the hope of being welcomed into the presence of the most holy God, welcomed into his embrace. So this week as I was preparing to shave my beard off for this play, um, I had a huge concern. <laughs> what is this going to do to my granddaughter? All her life she's known this face with this, this fur on it that she loves to reach up and touch and sometimes grab and yank and things like that. And I'm like, when she sees me, what's that going to do? Because I saw what she did when Eric shaved his beard and mustache off for her birthday party and dressed up as Mario. And she looked at him and went, what a freak, and you know, went the other direction. And I'm like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want anything to sever this relationship that I have with her. And then uh, Eric was out of town working this week, and so Allie and Ebony came up to our house to spend the week with us. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. At some point, this is going to be gone, and she's going to be there. And Well, you know, that, that got solved because of Tech Week with the play. Um, she was in bed by the time I got home. So I thought, I'm just going to avoid her until I can start growing it back. But I didn't know how I was going to do that because it's just hard as a grandpa to be separated from, from basically another little piece of his soul and another body. And, and, and so uh, I was really kind of perplexed by this whole thing. And, uh, and, and then I came home uh, one night a little bit earlier. It was about 10.30 instead of 12.30. And I, I, I walked in and uh, Lori and, and uh, Allie were down in our, in our basement area there and I could see them through the entryway and I, I saw, I, or I heard Lori, uh, well, I saw her lean forward and I heard her say, who's that? You know, and that's not how she greets me at the door. <laughs> who's that? And, and then... Then I heard Allie go, is that Papa Gnome? Because that's what they call me, because everybody's a gnome in my family, and apparently I'm Papa Smurf, Papa Gnome. And, and, I'm, and I'm standing there in the entry going, oh, no. Oh, this is going to be bad. And, and then I look over the entryway, and, and, and here comes Allie, and right ahead of Allie is, is Ebony crawling up the stairs, and she stands up at the foot of the stairs, and, and she sees me standing there in the entryway, and you just, there's no way to describe this to a non-grandparent. Just wait until you become a grandparent uh, because this is one of those, those things that'll just make your heart blow up and melt at the same time. She just 
like that, and she lets out a little squeal of delight and a laugh and makes a beeline for me. Now, while she's laughing and giggling with her arms outstretched coming to me, she also started to cry. And I thought, oh, good Lord, she sees the face. But she didn't stop. She didn't look at me. She kept coming full tilt until she hit my legs. And I thought, what a weird little bundle of emotions she is right now. Because she's, she's overjoyed in seeing me, but at the same time, something's, something's making her cry. I don't understand that. And I reached down and I picked her up and I put her up there on my shoulder and, and she did what she always does. She puts her arm around my neck and, and she calmed down immediately. And, uh, and I kind of looked at her and she looked at me and she didn't give me any indication that my face was different. She just clung to me. And, and then Allie told me that the entire week when I've been here practicing for the play instead of at home, Ebony's been wandering the house looking for me. I found one of her pacifiers in my study. I used to think stepping on Legos barefooted was a bad thing. Wait until you have a pacifier go between your toes. Scared me half to death. And she's been wandering around, and, and they, they said, she, she said, it's just not right for Ebony, because every time she comes to our house, you're there. Your presence is there. And she, she knew your presence wasn't there, and it was distressing her. And she just kind of bottled that distress up inside herself until I returned. And then when she saw me, joy, along with the release of distress. And then I realized that God answered my prayer. The thrill of hope that we should have and the eager anticipation of Christ's return means joy beyond measure, but along with it, the release of all this distress that we're pretending we're not having. That when Jesus returns, we can't help but run to him in joy, but probably with some tears. Maybe that's why the Bible says that every tear shall be wiped away. Because of the distress we feel of having one foot in this age and another foot in the age to come. When we come into the embrace of the presence of the Holy One, we will be calm as we've never been calm before because rest is finally going to happen. Not because there is this really cool fancy tent in the middle of the desert with a bunch of really cool golden utensils and blood all over them and things like that, but because God himself clothed himself in human flesh, came to the cross, fulfilling the faith of the Old Testament believer and the faith of us present-day believers. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that um, today we would have a renewed sense of what the cross means, what the cross accomplished, 
once and for all, for all the Old Testament believers that awaited your coming and what the cross has accomplished for everyone since that day that you died on that cross and since that day three days later when you came out of the grave and since that day some 40 days after that that you returned into the very presence of your holy father on our behalf and lord i also pray that we have a renewed sense of hope that no matter what's going on in the world right now and no matter how much it might be tearing us up inside and how much it might be distressing us that that just as sure as you came the first time you're coming again and when you do we'll be set free finally of everything that sin is and everything that sin has done. And then we will know what redemption really means. So Lord, thank you that we can know for sure through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ once and for all on our behalf that we have this hope of salvation. And thank you, Lord, that we can be assured that that hope will be fully realized someday and so as the scripture tells us lord we pray come lord jesus come but until you do may we be found going into this world taking this hope and telling as many people as we possibly can tell so that when you gather us all together all the family will be at your table. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20, 21 says, May the God of peace, who through, who, through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep, equipped you with every good thing doing for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand and join with me our praise to God this morning?
shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sing my soul, my Savior, God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. church as you go forth into uh, this week, into this world. Um, do so with these words from Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Go in peace and have a wonderful week in the Lord.